Good morning. Good morning. I absolutely love it that we've got such variety in our worship leaders. I love every one of them. I think Gabriel, you are amazing. And uh, Kate, ably supporting him as well. Fantastic. Um, we're doing this, uh, this um, series through Luke, Kingdom, Power and Mission. And we're taking every verse through Luke and doing an exegesis. And we're in chapter 2 at the moment. I listened to every word that Caroline said last week. Caroline, I thought you were fantastic, outstanding, and uh, a hard act to follow. But really good. It's captivated that we've got this baby that's born that is Lord and Saviour. And we're going to be picking up on that theme again today. Most of you probably can remember stories about when you were born. And um, no doubt your mom and dad told you about these stories and particular events in your life. And we're going to be looking at some in, in Jesus' life today. My mom and dad have died some time ago and uh, have gone to be with the Lord. But I remember things that they told me about the times leading up to my birth and, and shortly after. So my sister was born as a post-war baby and then my mum struggled in pregnancy. She had a number of miscarriages. She had two full-term stillborns and when she became pregnant again, uh, she was confined to her bed. They put a bed downstairs for her. And um, there was lots of complications. They thought she might be having a baby with two heads or three arms and stuff like that. Pretty scary time for her. She wasn't well. Anyway, um, lo and behold, she gives birth to twin boys. And my brother and I were born somewhat premature, very small. At six weeks old, we contracted whooping cough very seriously. And I was worse than my brother. And they said to my mum, let us take me, the baby. Let, let us take the baby into hospital and you can nurse my brother, Michael. And she said, no. If he's going to die, he's going to die in my arms. And obviously, these were traumatic. I'm not, I wasn't aware of that. I don't have any recollection of that. And I'm here. And... Um, <laughs> and I, uh, I was... It, I've always felt the call of God over my life. And even as a young boy, I, I believe my dad had a, a faith in God. And I, I said to him as a young boy, have you ever seen any miracles, Dad? And he immediately came back to me unequivocally. He said, I've seen two. <laughs> but what are those? He said, I was there when, when all the little boats went to collect the British armed forces off the beaches at Dunkirk. 
He said, that was a miracle. Well, what was the other one? He said, I asked God for a son, and he gave me two. And um, I'm telling you that because these things, you've got your own stories. And these things stick in our mind, don't they? And Luke, out of the only gospel writers, he's the only one that gives us any insight into the growing up years of Jesus. So we're going to be reading through Luke 22 to 30, 51. There's a lot to get through. As Ian said the other week, we need to strap ourselves in. We're going to read some scripture, unpack the passage a little bit, and move on to the next. So sit back and enjoy the ride. So here we go. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. That's Jesus. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So Mary and Joseph are devout followers of of God. They love God, and they follow the Old Testament law. And in, in compliance with the Old Testament law, there were three ceremonies. There was a, a purification ceremony involving the wife 40 days after birth. There was a presentation of the firstborn of the Lord, and there was the dedication of the firstborn to the service of the Lord. Now, the first of these involved purifying Mary, who, in the process of giving birth, obviously there was a discharge of blood. And in the Old Testament, discharges of blood were made you unclean, and there needed to be a process by which you came um, to the priest to offer a burnt offering and a sin offering. They offered a, turtle, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons because they were poor. Richer people would offer a lamb and a turtle dove. But they come to fulfill the requirements of the Lord and to make themselves richly clean before they presented their firstborn to God. The second was the presentation of the firstborn. This came from the Lord's commandment to Moses that um, consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, it is mine, says the Lord. And the third one with which we're most familiar was the dedication service. And we have there the pattern of Hannah bringing her son Samuel to Eli to dedicate him to the service of the Lord. And uh, many of us have followed that pattern and dedicated our children to God soon after they're, they're born. Well, as Mary and Joseph come to the temple to dedicate Jesus, they're confronted by two individuals. The first is a man called Simeon, and the second is a lady called Anna. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, 
He took him in his arms and blessed God. Just think it's amazing. Joseph and Mary are just coming to dedicate. They just think they're just coming to dedicate Jesus. Lo and behold, there's such significance and anointing. If there hadn't been enough already, there's more to come. And this man called Simeon comes and gathers Jesus up in his arms. It's a beautiful scene. Simeon's not only righteous, he also lives in the hope that God's promise will come to pass. He is waiting the consolation of Israel. This is a particularly Jewish, Jewish eschatological or end times um, statement that they were waiting for the Messiah. And it refers to the hope of the deliverance of the nation of Israel. And we see that Simeon was a man that had the Holy Spirit upon him. And the Holy Spirit had led him to the temple on this particular day. There weren't any emails. There were no notices coming up. Jesus is coming to be dedicated. Come if you can make it. No. The Holy Spirit got his man. And he happened to be there as Jesus, uh, Joseph and Mary brought Jesus into the temple. And when we walk with God... We're going to be looking into identity in a little bit. But when we walk closely to God and the Holy Spirit is at work within us, we, we sort of hear him and he's, he seems to get us in the right place at the right time. Amazing things can begin to happen because it's God's stuff. It's the Holy Spirit at work in us. And whenever you get involved in that, it's just the most joy to behold. It can be messy from time to time. I remember getting around my friend John Rees' house one day, and he'd spilt some paint on the floor. And he, I, I got there just as he was trying to clear it up, and he said, Malcolm, could you help me? And of course, I was delighted to help him clean up, and Nanette, was grateful for my involvement in, in being there. He just happened to spill some paint, which was just one of, one of those things. But it's a trivial thing, but actually God get, can get you into the right place at the right time. He came by the Spirit into the temple, and lo and behold, he gave these amazing words to... to um, to Mary and Joseph. Lord, or at least he prayed this to God while he's holding the baby. He said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also 
that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. The location of Simeon's prophecy could not have been more significant to a Jew. They were in the temple, the place where the presence of God resided. And Simeon declares, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, not just Jewish people, but all peoples. And here he says, A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. If you're not a Jewish person, you and I fall into the category of being a Gentile. God's plan from the beginning of time has come to fruition through the birth of Jesus. Simeon recognizes it. He's the Messiah. God intends to extend to all peoples, to every racial group, every man and woman, the offer of salvation that comes through Jesus. It's the most amazing declaration and prophetic word. And it corroborated all that had gone before, what Gabriel and the kings and and the shepherds had said to Mary and Joseph. And he goes on and says, it's a light to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Jesus is Israel's glory. God's plan of salvation was always intended to come through the Jews. And Jesus said to the lady in Samaria, salvation is of the Jews. I love it that when we get born again as a Christian, the history that we read about in the Old Testament becomes our history. We become part of the seed of Abraham. The promises made to Abraham and the people in the Old Testament that you can read for yourself become our promises. We can embrace them as our own. And before leaving, Simeon had a word for Mary, but which on the face of it was hard for Mary. He said, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against and a sword will pierce your soul. What does it mean the fall and rising of many in Israel. It seems to mean that those who reject Jesus are heading for a fall. And those who accept him by faith will ultimately be vindicated. And this was a heavy burden for Mary. And indeed, it was a heavy burden for Israel. Jesus came to bring division and separation. It's interesting when in John, you know the New Testament is written by Jewish people. 
It's not written by Gentiles. And Jesus, who was a Jew, met Nicodemus, who was a rabbi, a teacher. And the teacher, Nicodemus, said to him, Teacher, what must, as he addresses Jesus' teacher, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you must be born again. This was unpalatable to some parts of the Jewish nation. And it was clearly going to be a deep trouble for Mary. But the same question is presented to us. What must I do to inherit eternal life? When Jesus came, everything was turned on its head. Everything was turned upside down. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament and, and ushers in the new covenant where salvation is through faith in one man alone, through the Son, through Jesus Christ. And Mary had to grapple that it was her boy that was the Son of God. He was the one that was going to lead many to salvation, but that some would reject him. And that was a painful thing. If that wasn't enough, before Mary and Joseph left the temple, there's a further encounter with a lady called Anna. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Wow. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him, that's Jesus, to all those who looked for redemption in Israel. In Israel. It's just the same theme. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one by whom we must be saved. And I love it that Luke identifies Simeon and Anna, a man and a woman. Each have equal validity and cogency. Both are recorded in the scriptures. And as Anna's, and Anna's name lives on forever as this prophetess. I, it seems like she was over 105 years old. So if you're getting on a bit, there's still scope for you <laughs> to be used by God in the most amazing way. Seriously. Why not? And then the family returned to Nazareth where they lived. And the child grew strong and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And then we jump a few years to the age of 12. And this is what we read. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. They were devout Every year they went to Passover. You know, Passover is the, 
It's the feast that they celebrated to remember the time when Jesus rescued um, the, Jewish, the Jewish nation from the hands of Egypt. You remember the story how there was, um, the angel came and if you didn't have blood on your doorpost, the angel of death came and the firstborn was killed. And Pharaoh let, his, let, um, let the Jewish nation go and they fled and they crossed the Red Sea. And you, you, know all that, you know all that story. Give me a nod if you know that story. That's helpful. I didn't want to tell you all about that. But anyway, um, the, the point is, is that it's a great feast. It lasts a week long. And Joseph and Mary, you can see they just love God. And they, not only do they have these words over them, but they love God and they are steeped in the, in the, the Jewish tradition. And they come to Jerusalem because this is where the, the Passover is celebrated, one of three great feasts. And here they are at Passover. And it wasn't obligatory to bring children, but they bring Jesus with him because they want him to experience it as well. Like we want our children when we bring them to church, we want them to experience the things of God. So when Jesus was 12, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. feast, And when they'd finished the days, they returned. But the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to be in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? I, I might be understating this. But, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. So here's the scene. Nazareth is about 40 miles away from Jerusalem. And the land in between Nazareth and uh, Jerusalem was occupied uh, along the road by robbers and thieves. And so to enhance security, uh, um, they would travel as a, as, a, as, as a caravan and as a community. And indeed, probably the whole village or large parts of the village would have gone together up to, up to Jerusalem for the, for the Passover feast. And ordinarily, you, can tr you, you could travel 20 miles in a day. And so it would take two days to get to Jerusalem. So here, here they come at the end of the festival, at the feast, and they think Jesus, all the kids are running around. You, you, it's not like Ashburnham, but, but you know when all the kids are running around, you just presume that they're with someone else or with someone looking after them or with their cousins. Because we're all together. You know, so then they travel for a day, for 20 miles, and it, it was probably tea time, our equivalent of bath time, whatever. But they went looking for Jesus, and they couldn't find him. But surely he's with you. But they, they couldn't find him. So they spent one day traveling to, out of Jerusalem. Then they say, well, we've got to go back to Jerusalem to find him. 
So that's another day. And the third day, they get to Jerusalem. And they look all over. I can't imagine the anxiety and the franticness, the panic of looking for this boy. And they find him in the temple where he's um, listening to the teachers and asking them questions. I sort of had a titter about it because Mary says, son, why have you done this? Why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. I was just thinking, you know, what would we have done? My wife would have got, what the heck, Jesus, did you think you were doing? She'd, she'd have gone and got him by the arm and frog marched him out of there. I've experienced that myself. So, And it's, it's, it's funny, in, in the message version of the Bible, it, it, said, um, it says all the teachers were very impressed with Jesus, but Mary was not impressed with Jesus. <laughs> and um, Jesus comes up with this most amazing statement to his mom. Oh, where's he gone? He said, uh, um, he said to them, to his parents, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Other translations talk about in my fa- being, I, I need to be in my father's house. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his, his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God. What does it mean? I'm, I must be about my father's business, being be in my, my father's house. Well, it indicates that if Jesus wasn't aware already, he was well on his way to understanding who he truly was the Son of God. He addresses God as his Father. This is amazing for a 12-year-old. This is his true self. The, the very nature of his being. Jesus appears to recognize that his role is to be in relationship with the Father in order that he can declare and reveal the Father's love for mankind. He's committed to the mission that God has sent him to. And the key is his relationship. Jesus was in relationship with God, his heavenly Father. No one is born with an identity. And Jesus was no exception. He had to find out who he was in God. Just Pause for a moment. I told you those stories at the beginning about my life because no doubt Mary and Joseph would have told Jesus about the stories of his miraculous birth 
the Immaculate Conception. The Archangel Gabriel coming to his mom, talking to her, saying, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. About Elizabeth, her relative, her miracle of a baby late in age, Zachariah being blind. Done, sorry, yeah. The trip to Bethlehem for the, for the um, census. Jesus being born in a stable because there's no place at the inn. Kings bringing frankincense, gold and myrrh. Shepherds seeing angels and the glory of the Lord shining all around them. Then we got these testimonies of Simeon and Anna. And we know that they were a devout family, that they are seeking and following God. They didn't have the New Testament in those days. They only had the Old Testament. We don't know what Jesus was discussing with the teachers. Maybe he was discussing the prophetic over the coming Messiah. And they were astonished at his understanding. But the point is, Jesus worked out who he was in relationship to God the Father. And we have the same task. When we're born again, we come into the kingdom of God. But if you're like me, it's taken me a long time to find out who I really am, who I truly am. And the matter of our own identities as followers of Christ is crucial if we're going to find fulfillment in our lives as disciples of Christ. And if you haven't already worked that out, there's a battle to find out who you are. We live in a world that says your identity is based on how successful you are, what job you get. When I play golf with people, they always ask you, what job do you do? They want, they, you know, people think your, your identity is based in your job. It's not. It's not based on how much money you earn. It's not based on the house that I live in or the car that I drive. It's not based on whether I'm a male or... or Oh, I was going to say all female. I, I'm a male. But <laughs> it, it, it isn't based upon gender, race, age. We are specially told the lie that you don't need God to achieve everything you want in life. Heard an interesting insight recently about Adam and Eve. It wasn't that they wanted to be like God that was the sin. Because God wants us to be conformed into his image. The sin was that they wanted to be like God without God. Independently of God. In addition, if you've been deeply wounded as a child, you put up coping mechanisms, walls of protection... You create a framework by which people 
can feed into your love languages, your defective love languages, that if you do this, if I perform like this, I will receive your approval. The world teaches us that the underlying belief that our deepest happiness will come from living life our way, not God's way. And although we may say that we want to trust God and surrender to his will, deep down we doubt God is really capable of securing our happiness. That's been true of my life. David Benner, in his book, this book which has just so profoundly impacted me, says that the true self, this is the opposite to the false self, the, the, the illusionary self that we think that we need to be or we want, how we want others to look at us. The true self is the exact opposite of the false self. The true self is who in reality you are and who you are becoming. It is not something you need to construct through a process of self-improvement or deconstruct by means of psycho psychological analysis. It's not an object to be grasped. Nor is it an archetype to be actualized. It's not even some hidden part of you. Rather, it is your total self as you were created by God and as you are being redeemed in Christ. It is the image of God that you are the unique face of God that has been set aside from eternity for you. We do not find our true self by seeking it. Rather, we find it by seeking God. Coming into his presence. Letting the word of God wash over us. Being in community. Being in connect groups. God has been speaking to me for some months about authenticity. And we went on a weekend away for the elders last weekend. Uh, Jaw-dropping. The whole weekend was about authenticity. Paul Young, the writer of The Shack, says, true authenticity comes when what is on the inside is seen on the outside. But so many of us have erected these illusionary images of what we want to be looked like. If you only truly knew what I was like, you wouldn't want to know me. It's wrong. Not only do I want to know you, I want to love you, embrace you, and as a church, love one another, embrace one another with all our faults and failings. And he writes, David Benner, in his books about surrendering to the love of God. Surrendering all of the false self so that the true self, so that the false self will melt away. And the true self and the love of God that truly loves us exactly as we are will come and overpower us 
and we engage in the presence of the Holy Spirit and we get to know our true identity as our, as our true self. And you know that out of your true identity comes your true vocation, your call of your life. It's not that we become empty of everything and the Holy Spirit comes in and we have no control over it. It's not like that at all. Jesus writes, and I'm finishing quickly now. Jesus writes in John 15, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me. Live in me. Dwell in me. Embrace me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Have you, have you learned that? It, it seems that all your, without him, all of your attempts, all your things of what you think are necessary to be a good Christian, seem to fall flat. You're, if you think that um, you're on your own, you're, you're in good company because it's taken me decades to come to understand more fully what it is to, to surrender to God. But it is the most liberating, glorious life I am the happiest right now than I have ever been in the whole of my life. And I have some huge problems right now. <laughs> because my identity, my being, my, the very core of my being is who I am in God. I need to finish there. We, we could have said more. Let's stand. I just want to give us an opportunity to respond to this. Whether, you, whether you're a person that thinks, you're a thinker, you're a head person, don't cope with emotions very well. Or whether you're an emotional person, God is wanting to take everyone in between of those extremes into a deeper relationship with himself. If your knowledge is all headbound, that you, you know what you believe, but you don't know God personally, I want to say to you, he's longing for deep, intimate, close relationship with you. Today can be a, a change in your life where you come closer and closer into the presence of God. And once you get in, you don't want anything else. And out of that relationship, 
comes the presence of the Holy Spirit that just seems to get you in, into the right place at the right time. I'm not sure we ever get there before we die, but you understand there's a journey that we just grow closer and closer to God and Jesus so that we bear fruit in him because we're in him, in him, him in us and us in him. So Lord, we just offer you our souls and our bodies afresh. You know us intimately. You know everything there is about us. And we surrender afresh to you again today. We bring all of our false self into your presence. And we ask you, Lord, in the light of your love, we welcome your love to melt away those things that are not of you, to show us the things that are truly us, We commit with you, Lord, in relationship to get to know you better, to spend time in your presence. Let you meet with us, Lord. And through changes, to change the world around us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.